I invite you now to take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 47. Psalm 47, this is the word of the Lord. To the choir master, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. Selah. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our king, sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. Well, we are now 10 days into 2021. Are we ready for 2022 yet? (laughs) I mean, sometimes I feel like I, I have to laugh at how, you know, just when you think things are going bad and they can't get any worse, it's just like, you know, someone says, hold my adult beverage, and now things are getting worse. But as I said, we're now 10 days into 2021. And while it's too soon to make predictions on how the year will unfold, I wouldn't be at all surprised if we are entering this new year, particularly after this past week, with a bit of trepidation, a bit of concern, a bit of fear, a bit of anger, frustration, all kinds of emotions. I mean, so much has happened in the past year, so much that we would just like to forget. And here now, as we are approaching the new year, we see many of the same things start to happen again. I mean, experts were saying at the end of the year that our COVID restrictions and things could be going in not only through the year 2021, but maybe even into 2022. And again, like I said, not to mention what just happened this week. All kinds of things that are frustrating, all kinds of things that are causing us anger, frustration, concern, fear, dread. But I can say with complete confidence that no matter what happens this year, God is in complete control. God is in complete control. And we are a church that believes and boldly proclaims the sovereignty of God. That he is in control. And this sovereignty not only holds sway over the lives of believers or in the life of the church, but it governs all aspects of our lives. For as this psalm proudly declares, God is the king of all the earth. And that's what we're going to see here this morning in Psalm 47. A little bit of background to Psalm 47. Scholars consider Psalm 47 to be an enthronement psalm. An enthronement psalm. And as far as psalms go, Psalm 47 is considered to be oddly placed in the Psalter. Because we see a cluster of enthronement psalms between Psalms 93 and 100. A bunch of psalms there that talk about the enthronement of the great king. And here, Psalm 47 seems to be out on its own. But also, Psalm 47 is one of only 11 non-lament psalms 
In other words, Psalms that don't lament or are concerned about things. It's only one of 11 non-lament Psalms in Book 2 of the Psalter. In other words, Book 2 of the Psalter has a kind of a darker tone to it. Yet here, this is a psalm of hope, a psalm of confidence, a psalm of expectation as the king is enthroned. But it's also in a cluster of other psalms here that we've been looking at so far that are written by the sons of Korah, where there is a progression of sorts. If you remember a few weeks back when we looked at Psalms 42 and 43 and 44, we saw the inner and outer turmoil of the believer, of the one who is of the people of God as they battle the the things working in them, the depression, the turmoil within their hearts, but they also see the oppression coming from without. But as we've now been progressing from Psalms 45 through Psalm 50, uh, you see the following sequence of Psalms here. Psalm 45 was a royal psalm. Psalm 46, a psalm of Zion, the song of the city of our God. Here we have an enthronement psalm in Psalm 47. Next week, we'll see another song of Zion as we will see uh, Zion, the city of our God, uh, proclaimed. Psalm 49 is a wisdom psalm. And then Psalm 50, a psalm of thanksgiving. So these, this cluster of psalms here brings us hope and, and, and seeks to focus ourselves away from the troubles of the world and onto the, the fact that God is sovereign, that he is the king over all the earth. And we're going to see three things as we dig into this psalm this morning. We're going to see first in verses one through four, the victory of the great king. And then in verses five through seven, we're going to see the praise of the great king. And then finally, in verses 8 and 9, the reign of the great king. And our idea this morning is very simple. Our God reigns over all the earth. So let us rejoice in that fact. Let us rejoice in the fact that God reigns over all the earth. Well, first, let us look at Psalm uh, verses 1 through 4 as we see the victory of our great king. And this psalm begins with a command to shout to God with a voice of triumph as we celebrate the victory of the great king. Verse 1 and 2 says, Oh, clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout to God with a voice of triumph. For the Lord Most High is awesome, or he is to be feared. He is a great king over all the earth. Now, historically, this psalm was sung as a sort of a New Year psalm for the Jewish people. It was sung during the, the celebration of Rosh Hashanah, the New Year for the, for the Jewish people. And it has also been a psalm that has been sung in the Christian tradition in the observance of Ascension Day, the day in which we celebrate Christ ascending after the resurrection, 40 days after he was resurrected, where he ascended into heaven and was seated at God's right hand. But here, the psalmist is rousing the people to celebrate. Now, celebrate what, you may ask? Well, celebrate the fact that the Lord, who is awesome, the Lord, who is to be feared, is a great king over all the earth. This great king has emerged victorious, which we'll examine shortly. And this is the reason for our celebration. But before I go on, I want to ask a probing question. Do we celebrate the victories that the Lord has won for us? 
Now, again, what victories, you may ask? Well, for starters, here we are on the other side of 2020, a year many of us wondered if it would ever end. Well, here we are. Do we celebrate with clapping hands and shouts for joy to the Lord for seeing us through that year? Many of us have either had COVID or knew someone who had COVID. Do we celebrate with shouts of joy to God for seeing us through? Think about where this church was at this point last year. You had no pastor. How many of you thought that this church wouldn't even survive through this year? Do you celebrate with shouts of joy for God for seeing you through? If we stop to think about it, we all have plenty of reasons for being thankful to God as his sovereign hand has led us through all the trials of our lives. He has been there for us. Now the victory here that the psalmist wants us to celebrate and what makes our God worthy of praise and worship is the conquest of Canaan, which we see in verses 3 and 4, where we read, He will subdue the peoples under us and the nations under our feet. He will choose our inheritance for us, the excellence of Jacob, whom he loves, Selah. Now notice again what the psalmist says here, that the Lord subdues peoples under us. The Lord puts nations under our feet. The Lord chooses our inheritance for us. All of these things point back to the greatest act of redemption in the entire Old Testament, which is the exodus and the conquest of the land of Canaan or the promised land. And the people here now are being told by the psalmist now to look back at where they came from and look now to where they are today. And they are to celebrate because it is the Lord who has brought them there. They were enslaved in Egypt, but the Lord brought them out with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. The Lord sustained and protected them for 40 years in the wilderness as they wandered to and fro. The Lord drove out the Canaanites from before them and gave them an inheritance in the promised land. And all of this is in fulfillment to the promises that God made to their fathers 400 years before then to Abraham that he would give that land to them. In fact, not just the Exodus and the conquest, but the entire Old Testament is filled with God's uh, stories of God's victories for his people. But note also that this is a call for all peoples to shout to God with a voice of triumph. That means that the victory of the great king is not just a victory for Israel. It is not just a victory for the Jewish people. In fact, what did God promise Abraham when he called him out of his ancestral home in the, in the land of Ur? What did he say to him in Genesis 12, 3? He said, I will bless you and I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all the nations of the world All the families of the earth shall be blessed. The promises made to Abraham are promises of blessing and joy, not just for Abraham, not just for Abraham's descendants, but for all peoples. And when God moves in victory for his people, there can't help but be some kind of splash effect, if you will, for all people. 
The promise of blessing comes through our union, as it were, with Abraham. If you have the faith of Abraham, then you are a child of Abraham and you are receiving blessings that go to all nations. But we must also acknowledge that God here, as it says in the New King James, is awesome. Or as in other translations, he is to be feared. So that's not awesome like awesome, but more so like awesome is in worthy of awe. Someone that, that provokes or invokes awe in us. He is to be feared because he is a great king over all the earth. In the book of Proverbs, King Solomon tells us it is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is beginning of knowledge. In other words, the foundation for our knowledge and relationship with God is built on a reverence, on a, a, a foundation of reverence and fear and understanding of who the Lord is and who we are in relation to the Lord. And we also need to acknowledge then his sovereign rule over all aspects of our lives. There is nothing in all of creation over which God is not sovereign. And then finally, the conquest of the promised land is a victory that, of course, points forward to Christ's ultimate victory. A victory not only over sin and death, but a victory over all of his enemies, all of our enemies, when Christ returns. And that victory that Jesus won on the cross will be fully consummated at his return. And that final victory will be certainly celebrated by all peoples with shouts of joy and the clapping of hands. Well, moving on now from the victory of the great king, we see here in verses 5 through 7, the praise of the great king. As we read, God has gone up with a shout. The Lord, with the sound of a trumpet, sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our king, sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with understanding. Here in verse 5, we see the Lord is ascending. God, the Lord is ascending with a shout. With the sound of a trumpet, he ascends. Like any earthly king or ruler who has just won a great victory over his enemies, the conquering king now ascends to his throne. And this too is also reminiscent of something that happened in Israel's history. Scholars believe that this psalm here, in particular verse 5, refers to the annual festival that celebrated the Lord's enthronement, probably with a procession of the Ark of the Covenant up to the temple. So if you remember the Ark of the Covenant, of course, is considered to be God's throne, his, his, his seat where he sits on earth, metaphorically speaking. And as that throne ascends up to the temple, that is, this is God ascending his holy hill. In fact, these verses, in, in a sense, recall to the Jewish mind uh, what King David did when he moved the Ark from where it was to the Temple Mount. We read about this in 2 Samuel. After King David had finally consolidated the kingdom under his rule, he now wants to bring the ark of God up from where it was, up to now Jerusalem, where his capital will be. And as the ark was going up, or as it was ascending to Jerusalem, we are told in 2 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 15, So David and all the house of Israel brought the ark of the Lord with shouting, and with the sound of trumpets, the ark ascends Mount Zion with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. 
This is, of course, also similar to Psalm 24, where we read the earth is the Lord's in Psalm 24.1. The Lord ascends his holy hill, and the Lord received glory and honor. That's what that psalm is talking about, Psalm 24. So David may have been the anointed king of Israel, but it was God himself who is truly king. Now, the symbolism of the ark ascending the holy hill of Zion is meant to point to the reality now that God is the king over all the earth. God is the great king by virtue of his ownership over all things. Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and all of its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. It is by this fact alone that we owe God all obedience all praise, all worship. But one can now look at the world around us and think, well, if God is a great king, he certainly seems to be asleep at the wheel. I mean, consider all of the evil and calamity that goes on around the globe, all kinds of natural disasters, tornadoes, hurricanes, earthquakes, people going hungry in places of the world, people being abused and mistreated across the world. Babies being slaughtered by the millions. All sorts of perversion being normalized in the name of tolerance. And on the flip side, we see the righteous persecuted for their faith and Christian values being mocked and ignored and ridiculed across the world. How can we believe that God is king when all of these things, all of these bad things are happening? That's when we need to dig down deep That's when we need to think and and really ask ourselves this question. Has God ever truly let us down? Has God ever truly let us down? I mean, why do you think we've been given the Bible in the first place? Why do you think we've been given this book? This book is a testament to everything that God has done for us. It is a testament. So when we read these things, we look at these truths in here and we, we recognize all that God has done throughout all of history, for his people. Time and time again, God has delivered his people from trouble and despair. When God's people languished under bondage to a cruel Pharaoh, God heard their cries. When God's people turned from him and were oppressed by foreign enemies, God delivered them when they repented. When Naomi felt as if she went away full, but came back empty, God redeemed her shame. When David was on the run from Saul, God delivered him and made him king as he had promised him. It is because God is sovereign, it is because God is the great king, that he is willing and able to deliver you from whatever troubles you, whenever you whatever troubles you find yourself in, God will deliver you. God is able to deliver you because God is king over all. The earth. And that's why we sing praises to him. How do we know God is king over, the, over all the earth? Because Christ was not only victorious at the cross, but also because he too ascended to glory. After his resurrection, Jesus Christ ascended to the right hand of God the Father. He is the only one who is worthy to ascend God's holy hill of Zion. And the ascension of Jesus Christ was his coronation as king over all the earth. 
And all this was done, so as Paul says in Philippians 2, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Well, having seen the praise of the great king as he ascended his holy hill, it is now time to see him reign in verses 8 and 9. First in verse 8, God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. As we've been showing all along, God has done symbolically in in the Old Testament, has now come to its fullness in the New Testament with Jesus Christ. In fact, going all the way back to the garden, we see God expressing his reign and rule over all the earth. When God set up the paradise in Eden, he set Adam up as his sort of like his vice regent to control and to to, uh, maintain and supervise the creation. And when Adam failed to defend God's temple garden against Satan, that brought in a reign of sin and death into the world. And God has since that time been working his plan of renewal, his plan of restoration, and his plan of regeneration from that point on. And Israel, the nation of Israel, was set apart to be God's chosen vehicle through whom redemption and restoration would come. So everything in Israel's history looks forward to and is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Now, as we mentioned earlier, it can be hard to see God's reign and rule over all the earth. And it can be especially hard to see God's plan of restoration coming about. But as I often like to say, that's why we need to walk by faith and not by sight, right? We need to walk by the faith that we have in our sovereign God, not by what we see going on in the world around us. And the truth of the matter, the thing that we need to have faith in is that God reigns over all the earth. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. And how do I know this? Why do I believe this to be true? By faith. By faith. Because God's word declares it to be true. The prophets of old declared it to be true. Jesus Christ himself declared it to be true. The king is reigning even now as we speak. Jesus Christ has ascended to God's right hand. His reign and rule has already begun. It's been going on ever since. And the church, our church and other churches like it, the church is the manifestation of the kingdom of God in this earth. And as the gospel spreads, as we share the good news with our unsaved family, friends, and loved ones, as this gospel spreads, so the kingdom grows. And is a kingdom composed of every tribe, every tongue, every nation on the earth. God truly reigns as the church grows. I mean, again, consider how the church began. The church began very small, right? Book of Acts, the church began very small. And throughout her history, her 2,000 plus year history, the church has endured persecution. The church has endured apostasy. The church has endured heresy. The church has endured complacency. And through it all, the church has endured because God sits on his holy throne. I 
And finally, in verse 9, we see all peoples coming to God, the great king. The princes of the people have gathered together, the people of the God of Abraham, for the shields of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. Interestingly here, the princes of the people we see here are gathering before God, are also shown elsewhere in Psalm 2, let's say, to be taking their stand against the Lord and against his anointed, his Christ. These are the people now to whom God brings the blessings of Abraham. And I think it's a wonderful promise to, of, of the reach of the gospel that the enemies of Christ will become the peoples of the God of Abraham. God is in the business of turning enemies into followers. Think about our own past when Paul says we were one time enemies of Christ. We were born in our sins and trespasses and we walked in our sins and trespasses and we were enemies with God, but God loved us in that while we were still enemies, Christ died for us. The prophet Isaiah foresaw this great conversion and gathering of the nations. In chapter 49 of his prophecy, we read, Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, their Holy One, to him whom man despises, to him whom the nations abhor, to the servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes also shall worship because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, and he has chosen you. Surely these shall come from afar. Look, those from the north and the west and those from the land of Shinim. The prophet Isaiah foresaw a time when all the nations, the rulers of the nations, shall come from all over the world and bow down before God. And they shall do this because God is a king over all the earth. And when Christ the king returns, the kings and princes of the nations will finally recognize his kingship. Well, as we said at the beginning, this new year of 2021 does bring with it all kinds of uncertainty. And as much as we might want to say, how can 2021 be any worse than 2020? We certainly don't want to tempt fate, right? But the truth of the matter, beloved, is that we live under the sovereignty of God. There is never a time when God ceases to be king over all the earth. There is never a time where he takes his hand off of the tiller. There is never a time where you have to worry that he is not watching, that he is not in control, that he is not overseeing all things. And this should serve as a cause of great comfort to us living life under the sun because we can often lose sight of this great truth. We often look at truths such as the sovereignty of God and think there's little practical application to this truth. But you couldn't be more wrong. You could not be more wrong. This truth is a source of great comfort for the people of God. Because what is more comforting to know that God is in control? What is more comforting than that? That the king is on his holy throne. That God has ascended his holy hill. That he sits enthroned as king over all the earth. Maybe put it this way. I would rather face the uncertainty of 2021 knowing that God is in control than the opposite. Right? Because what if God is not in control? Where is your hope? What do you hope in? 
I mean, whose, whose hand is on the tiller if God is not in control? But because with God as king over all the earth, I am confident and we can all be confident that God will redeem all of my trials, all of our sorrows, all of our pain, all of our trouble for his glory and our good, right? And even though it might seem like the devil and the forces of evil are in the ascendancy, right now we can still clap our hands and shout for joy because God is king over all the earth. Let's pray.